Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about improv for authorities. Ooh, do authorities do improv? Yes, and... (laughs) (laughs) Good work. We'll explain that. Yes, I don't know if if we've ever talked about this, but I took an improv class in uh, probably in my mid-30s, something like that. And it was one of the most fun things I've ever done. Super fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also uh, music improv. So we're going to talk about we're going to talk about improv, not in comedy and not in music, but for authorities in your authority based business. I love this idea. I mean, we all think of authorities as being sort of this highbrow, you know, icon of perfection. Whereas I always think of improv. You know, I think of the greats. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another thing about authorities i think i think people can feel you know when you kind of get through that you feel like an expert you get to that recognized authority stage and i i i try not to feel this way i i have to work at it for sure but you have to keep in mind that you don't know everything like yeah. you, you could be an expert in your space but there's going to be there are going to be rabbit holes and edge cases and uh, and and new ways to communicate the knowledge to people that you're constantly going to be learning which means you don't always know everything, yeah. and right. I mean, it's it sounds silly to say, but uh, people can. I, I I know, I know. I have to fight it sometimes to keep an open mind when someone is sort of, sort of disagreeing with something that I've thought quite a bit about. And I instead of just being like, no, I've thought about this more than you. I'm right. I mm-hmm. it's it's tempting to do that. Um, but if you're really listening, and you can either understand that there's something new under the sun, shocker. Uh, and this person actually does have some sort of different situation, or it's just a you're communicating it wrong. But either way, you're going to learn something. But the point is, uh, there there are a couple of situations that w- where you're definitely not going to know everything. It's very common for you to not know everything, so it can be helpful to have improvisational skills in those moments that allow you to get something out of it for both parties. You know, so like to, to keep a, yeah. a meeting moving forward or to keep the energy in a, a talk room up or, um, you know, meeting with a new potential partner and, and, you know, deciding what your boundaries are going to be around that. So if you have just like with music and with comedy improv, there are tricks. They're like tricks of the trade. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're feeling like you're getting lost or you're in inchart- un- uncharted territory, there are things that you can fall back on tools that you can fall back on to keep whatever it is moving forward in a positive way. Yeah. Well, and the, the big thing to me that I learned by, uh, not actually by taking a class on improv, but by watching them and, and uh, hearing some of their talks is that one of the things about improv is the art of saying yes. And if you think about, like if you watch an improv sketch, the one of the core rules is you can never say no. And if you think about it, if you're watching like two comedians, the minute one of them says no, in other words, they don't go where the other person is taking them, the sketch is over. Right. There's no place to go. Yeah. So it's this idea about saying yes, because you're, you're in tandem, right? There's a flow that you're creating. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something you can practice. It's it it's very fun. I mean, I think in music and comedy, it's super fun to practice. Uh, in but you know the, that's practice. It's not live. It, the, some of the situations we're going to talk about today, like a sales interview, for example, or a sales meeting. You know, you're on the spot. You don't get a do over. It's not practice. So right. uh, 
you just have to look at it as practice for the next time. So it's a live performance and, uh, you know, you, you bring your knowledge and expertise and your improvisational skills to the meeting and hopefully they carry you through. If not, you learn something for next time and you do the next one better. You know, the funny thing is, I know we talked, we always do a little, you know, in the pre-show of kind of figuring out what we're going to talk about. And I hadn't thought about this from the standpoint of a musical improvisation, because that's always because I'm not a musician. I have no musical skills at all. It's always <laughs> fascinating to me when I watch something like, uh, like hard rock, where they really just kind of go off for five minutes or jazz. I mean, jazz is yeah. pretty much all improvisation. Um, I've always found that um, I don't know if scary is the right word. It just, it, it's fascinating to me how you can have multiple people on the stage doing their own thing, but somehow it all comes out. Right. It's, I mean, the, yeah, the musical piece of this, I mean, let's, let's make sure we, we think about that as we talk through this, Jonathan, because I think it's, mm. it's really a different perspective. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think the common theme uh, of the three different categories of improvisation that we've talked about so far. The common theme is that you are uh, making decisions on the fly within a framework of guidelines. So there's there's like things that you wouldn't do in a jazz trio, you know, like rules are there to be broken. But in fact, it, it, in music school, they don't even call them rules. They call them style practices. So if you want mm. to sound like Coltrane, you have to do certain things or you will not sound like Coltrane. So it's, it's not that it's a rule. It's like you've decided you want to sound a particular way. Therefore, it brings with it a whole bunch of rules that you can mm -hmm. play with. Uh, if you want to sound like Garth Brooks, it's going to bring a whole different set of rules. If you want to sound like Neil Diamond. <laughs> oh, stop. <laughs> I'm never going to live that down. Uh, um, so it's the same. It's it's well, and we just talked about a comedy one. It's like you can't say no. You'll pop the bubble. Yeah. So you have to, you know, it's like, yes, and, you know, is that a scorpion on your boot? Yes. And his name is Fred. <laughs> you know, you just keep going. Uh, yeah. Okay. So then, so it's the same thing for us today. We're going to talk about some of those, those things in business contexts, like what those rules are uh, and how to play with them and, and again, keep moving things forward. So let's get specific. So let's start with the, the classic case, uh, which is you give a talk and there's Q&A at the end. So you're mm -hmm. you're presented as the sage on stage and you're the smart one and you're the teacher or whatever. You're up in front of the room virtually or otherwise and you give your talk and then you take questions at the end. And this this for me, this is my very favorite part of talks. I, I like it better than the talk itself um, because I get to kind of instantiate it for individual use cases or individual things. And I think it, it really... Um, in, in many cases, a good question will be more educational. Me answering a really good question, doing a good job answering it is going to be more educational to the audience than half the stuff I said with the slides or whatever. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I love it, but I know a lot of people are terrified of it. And, and when I talk to them about it, their, their response is basically something like, well, what if, I'm, what if somebody stumps me? And <laughs> right. Cause then, then it's like, good. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> So you can you can kind of think like, OK, well, let's come up with questions that would stump you or um, you could even role play it. You could say, all right, what's the talk about? And I'll just ask a bunch of dumb questions and see how well you answer. Um, but when but the, the get out of jail free card that will cause you, at least for me, causes me to never get nervous. Uh, which there then if I'm not nervous, I can do a better job. So it's a virtuous mm -hmm. cycle if I'm not nervous is 
is that I might say, I don't know. Great question. I should know the answer to that. I don't. I'll research and get back to you. Is like, if you just memorize that, then you can't, you can't really be stumped or you can't, the, the, the bubble can't pop. The bubble won't pop. People will still think like, oh, well, it's not that the person's not an expert. They just don't know the answer to that particular question. So the, I think the side effect of that is that they'll be like, well, the other questions he or she must really know the answer to. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, that's also the fear of a, of a technical talk. Right, because if if you're worried that you're going to get stumped, that tells me that you're worried about the technical content of mm-hmm. the presentation. And it, you may be doing a very technical presentation, but you might also be doing something that's based on technical, but you're making a much bigger point. Yeah. And yep. when you're doing that, it is almost impossible to be stumped because if you're positioning the talk with this sort of strategic intent, but based on this technical foundation, people probably aren't going to be asking you technical questions. They're going to be asking you sort of the strategic or even visionary questions like, where do you see this going in 10 years? And, you know, that's always a fun question. You can sit back and answer. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think it also it's, it's the headspace you're in when you're giving that talk. Yeah, that's a great tip. Right. Because it can you can get mired down in details, which can be it could be good or bad, but if somebody's like getting really overly technical, uh, it's probably not that interesting to the audience because it's too technical, it's too specific, it's tough, tougher to apply. Uh, but I love that. That's a great tip: is to take it up a level. And Seth Godin does this all the time. On <laughs> if if you go to if you yeah. want to hear an example of this, dear listener, um, check out his Akimbo podcast. He does listener questions at the end, and he does this all the time. Somebody will somebody will have like a super detailed specific question and it you know and he'll he'll answer it and it almost feels like he didn't answer it because it's like because he didn't tell them what to do but he did tell them how to think about it Mm -hmm. and so they they can figure out what to do so that's a that's a great tip that is that's a i would have forgotten that one but i definitely do that yeah, it's and it's a it's a brand tip. I mean, when you see somebody like Seth doing that, it tells you something about how he thinks and how he works. It's it's him. Mm-hmm. And really that's what we're doing whenever we answer a question is we're demonstrating our brand in action. And so if you want to become more strategic, then, you know, we have to practice those kinds mm-hmm. of questions and answering them and positioning the questions in a more strategic way. Mm. So here's here's another tip if you're doing Q&A and somebody hits you with a stumper of a question, um, you could you could sort of turn it back to the audience or not turn it back to, but like involve the audience, welcome the audience into it and say, huh, interesting question. Does anybody else have uh, this same issue, whatever the issue is? Does, does anybody mm-hmm. else have the same kind of problem or, you know, and then get the get like a conversation going if you're in a context where you could do that and pick on people to say like, can you describe yours? Can you describe yours? And because what might be happening is that the the question asker might have given you a lot of words, but not enough information. And you, for some reason, you just can't, you just can't get it out of them. You can't, even with clarifying questions, you're like, I just can't understand yeah. what this question is. Yeah. So if you kind of bounce, and it might just be, and you know, if it's me, I might just be not getting it. I might be dense. It could be a language barrier. Like they've got a heavy accent and I'm just not getting it. Um, and so you can kind of get a little bit of a, a group thing going and say, like, does anybody else have this sort of a problem? Or, um, you know, and if hand, hands go up, then they're understanding the question better than I am. 
and I can ask, like, tell the orst, like, how does it manifest for you? How does it manifest exactly. for you? And probably, maybe not probably, maybe that's strong, but it's possible that uh, that will make the question click for you and you'll be able to, you know, give a good answer. Or the group might figure it out. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Even better is that by doing that, you've engaged the audience in the in the question. Mm. And you've also bought yourself some time. You know, so you can like think about it because sometimes you need a beat or five or 10 beats, especially if it's a language barrier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes if I hear someone with a really strong accent, if I just think about it for three seconds, I all of a sudden can understand what they said. Mm. Right. So it's, it buys you time. But more importantly, it's engaging your audience. And when you're doing a talk, you know, there isn't really an engagement process. I mean, there might be if you build in a little some, but if it's a formal podium speech, you know, the engagement stuff is hard. So this mm. gives you the perfect platform to do that. Yes. Yeah, it's great. So, yeah, facilitating the group to come to an answer, or come to some sort of conclusion, I think is really uh, is it's just another one of those. I hate calling it tricks because it seems like it's, you know, but it's it's like a, a tool in your improvisation yeah. toolkit. I like that. It's a tool. Yeah, it's it's not a trick and it's not manipulative. It's um, it's a way to it's it's everybody who is in that room and virtual or literal is involved in answering the question. And that's good. Yeah, that is good. Right. Yeah. And I think probably for all of the scenarios we're going to talk about today, if you back up a level and just keep in mind that everybody everybody wants good things to happen it's like you can feel like you're on the spot especially in a talk where you know you might almost feel on the defensive especially in the Q&A some people do get aggressive in Q&A but if you keep it helps to keep you calm and therefore do a better job I think if you big picture you think like I'm here to help everybody including myself like I want everybody to be better off after this is over. So it's not about it's not about me looking good. That's not the point. I'm not trying to look good. I'm trying to do whatever I'm trying to do. I'm trying to help these people see things a new way. I'm trying to get people to take some action that I believe would be in their best interest, like ditching hourly billing or seeing, you know, whatever. So mm-hmm. if, if, if I keep myself out of it and don't think about the status power trade-off that's, that's going on there and and this I don't know if we should get into a whole status thing but if I just keep it not float above it I don't know how to describe it let's let's try using the word ego yeah I think that helps because then it's not necessarily about status but it's about you and yourself (laughs) yeah thank you that's a much better way to put it I just it's not about me it's not about my ego I'm I'm there to help and if I keep that in mind it takes a lot of pressure off I'm not here to be right I'm here to help so I'm not here to know every the answer to every question. I'm here to help. So you just help as much as you can, and it's not gonna. It's not supposed to be perfect. So it just. I guess. I guess taking the pressure off yourself. There's a variety of ways to take the pressure off yourself, and then you can do a better job. Well, and I think the other thing is that when you do a talk like this, there's always someone that you're working with to figure out how to structure the talk, not necessarily the details, but the learning objectives. There's somebody who's going to tell you about that audience or you're going to do some research. So one of the best things you can do for yourself with this is after you've put together the talk based on that input is you just keep in mind what your overall objective is. And right. it, it, it is, I mean, in the biggest sense, it is helping. It's making them better 
after they've experienced you than they did before. Mm-hmm. And especially, I think, in a in a stand-up kind of a talk, it's really easy to um, activate the ego because you're standing yeah. up there and you're like, oh, do I have spinach in my teeth? Am I standing yeah. straight? You know, right. your your head goes there, right? And then you're worried about, am I saying the right things? Is it connecting with people? So all this stuff, it's like a swirl when you're up there. And so if you can just keep the overall focus in mind that it's let's all be better after it it does to your point it takes the pressure off Mm, cool well speaking of ego that's a good segue into our second situation sort of business situation um, where improvisation is some some improvisational tools can be very helpful and that is having a sales interview or a sales meeting with a potential client yeah man it's always interesting dealing with ego in those Mm-hmm. Right. Especially if it's a group of people versus just two, like you yeah. and another person. And it's, right. uh, yeah, you can kind of watch the ego, the ego play bounce around the room. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. People grabbing the power frame back and forth and like trying to, <laughs> trying to like get a sense. Um, <sighs> so where do we? Well, the, the, let, let me, let me try this. And this is a very personal experience. So then we can maybe back it up. But when I go into a sales meeting, there's a couple things that I try to have happen, and it's similar to the, the speaking, actually, is that I want to be um, an instrument to get them where they want to go. So it's, I'm, a, I'm a channel, if you will. That's how I think about it. And, and not in a woo-woo way, just like that's my role there is to try and funnel everything that happens in that room towards achieving their outcomes. And that doesn't mean I'm going to bulldoze them to it. If it's a lot of people in the room, I want to make sure people get heard and so forth. But going into that room, I try to keep two things in mind, and it's always a balance. And one is the ego, that I need to keep my ego in check because this meeting is not about me. It's about how we're going to get them to wherever you know it is that they want to go. And the second thing is, I call it boundaries. Um, you might call it a framework. Uh, maybe framework is better. Um, but I, I usually think of it as boundaries that says that say this is what I will do and what I won't do in terms of a solution. So, for example, we might really work towards something and come up with an approach that is not something that I'm going to do. Right. I am not going to perform that service because it's not what I do, but it's clear that getting them in that direction will be helpful. And so I have to um, be clear that I'm not going to bend myself into a pretzel to be able to do whatever we come up with. So what that does for me is it frees me to focus on the client's objective, not worry so much. I won't say not worry at all. I mean, not worry, but not think about it at all all, because I have these kind of built-in boundaries. But if, if I can let the ego go, focus on the outcome and help the person or the group see what kind of a process is going to work for them, I've removed myself from it. It doesn't mean I won't wind up being the person who gets them to the solution, but it's, I'm not making decisions in the meeting based on that. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. It's ex- I use different words to describe it, but I do the exact same thing, where I go in and essentially try to talk them out of hiring me or doing the project at all. You know, like let's, let's, my, and my, the way I phrase it is that I'm there to help them uncover what their desired outcome is. What is the transformation? I can't, I can't tell it to them. It's in there somewhere, They but it, they almost never volunteer it. So, you know, 
if you're looking for an improv framework, look no further than the why conversation where I talk about the, the three different why questions for running one of those interviews where you're, you're not there to pitch software development or, uh, you know, build them a new Shopify store or whatever. You're not there to do that. Even if that's what they asked you to do, even if that's what they think you're, you know, that's what they know you for. That's the recommendation mm -hmm. they got. That's not what you're there to do. You're there to uncover their desired business outcome and then agree on what they think your contribution to that desired outcome is going to be. Cause you probably can't single-handedly do it. It's, it's, you're probably upstream, unless you're a salesperson, you're probably upstream from any direct dollars, you know, if you're doing brand stuff or marketing or even feature development for a, for a SaaS, it's all upstream from money. So what, why do they think your, what do they think your contribution to this would be? And why do they think that is going to be good for them? How is it going to contribute to the, the transformation? Mm -hmm. And if you can't find that piece, then there's no gig. Like there's no, you're not, you should not engage with them because either um, if both parties, the client, potential client and you are not in agreement about what your contribution would be to the desired outcome, then what, what would you even suggest? Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't eh. make sense. Yeah, yeah. There's no alignment. And the important piece there, I think for a lot of people is if you're in a meeting like that, it's very common for people to think like, oh, I need to, I need to look for a way to that, that my uh, labor will contribute to some value for this client. So like if, you know, I, I don't know, I build Rails apps, so I need to find a way that a Rails app is going to solve this client's yeah. problem. It's yeah. not like that. It's not like that at all. Like building a Rails app is just one piece of your Rails expertise. And you've got lots of other ways that you could apply that expertise whether you know it or not. So when you find out the contribution piece, what's what's your contribution? And do you agree that it would lead to that outcome? And everybody's kind of like nodding. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. Then you could say, well, there are three, three ways I can do that. One is a sort of DIY approach where I teach you guys how to do it. And another one is like a oversight approach where you guys do it and I help, uh, or I can do everything for you. And there are three different prices for those things. Mm-hmm. But the improv comes in, I, and I do this, uh, I, I probably don't still do this. I guess I do sometimes, actually. I'll, I'll write down some of my lines. Like, I, kn I know what questions need to be asked. You know, there, I'm, I need to ask the why questions, obviously, but I might write down a couple, you know, just to refresh my own memory, write down a few different variations. Uh, I might write down some key pieces of information about the company that I know or, or what I think they might be you know, so my suspicions of what the underlying transformation might be. I might put together some notes on uh, what a cold read might be for this company. So like, you know, they came to me, I know a little bit about them. I've gone on their LinkedIn. I know how big the company is, uh, you know, how long they've been in business, how many employees, so forth. And so I was like, ah, if they're calling me and based on the email that they sent, they probably want blah. I'm not going to definitely, I'm not going to like get closed minded about it, but they, you know, it might be an area of inquiry that I follow. So I'd have like a half a page of notes with a few lines. And yeah, and then when you talk to them, it's just a question of of letting them brain dump. And then you start asking these questions and, and you kind of surf the conversation from there, following your curiosity. Yes. And uh, the why conversation is kind of like my framework that I use to uncover those things that I mentioned previously. Um, there are uh, a couple of other things that I keep in mind in terms of like tools for improvisation in a sales interview. 
Uh, one is, is you already said, it's like knowing what I won't do, mm-hmm. you know, knowing, knowing what's definitely not going to happen. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to propose anything in the meeting anyway. I always do a proposal later, but just knowing that like when I'm in certain territory or when they're, they're going into certain territory, certain territory where it becomes clear that I am the wrong person, then I'll just say that like they've gone outside of my boundaries and I'll say, no, nah, it seems like you guys are really just looking for someone who can uh, do what you tell them to do. And that's not really where my value comes from. So let me just put you in touch with somebody who just builds rails apps or whatever, mm-hmm. and you can tell them what to do, or it sounds like you just need an employee really. Um, so the boundaries thing is definitely important. You know, you're not pitching. So your, your ego, you're not there to prove how awesome you are. You're there to uncover the desired transformation. So you're just ego is not there. It doesn't, there's no reason for you to be nervous or anything. No, it's the, excited. Right. You should be stoked. It's fun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then the last thing in a sales meeting that I like to keep in mind is, is to ask whatever's on your mind. It's not uncommon for a client to like be way down in the weeds with the specifics of their issue. And it can be really hard to get the big picture from the details you know, and that could represent itself as them just launching into a conversation with no context whatsoever. And you're just totally lost. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it, it can be, you, it, some people are timid in that situation and then they don't either interrupt or find a way to get the client's attention kind of like, well, wait a second, I, I'm already, I don't have enough context to understand this. So I don't want you to waste your time describing something. Um, can we just back up for a second? Like what's, who's Sally? Like, <laughs> what, what are you talking about? You know? Yeah. Uh, or another thing is that somebody will use jargon and they'll it'll just roll off their tongue as if you should know it. It like implies that you'd be, you know, you might think that they're implying you'd be stupid if you didn't know what COI is or whatever. <laughs> and you just ask, like, like, do yes. not not ask, interrupt and be like, oh, sorry, what does that stand for? And if they're like offended that you didn't know what that was, then the, probably the deal's yeah. dead. The bubble is not going to work anyway. But usually... People are glad that you did ask, and they'll apologize. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry. That's an inside baseball term in plastics manufacturing. That's the the shipping container that the plastic shards are delivered in. It's like, oh, okay. Like, how the heck would you have known that? You know what I mean? Right. Good clients will love it when you do that. Bad clients will not. <laughs> so it's a good well, litmus test. It, and it's also a way to uh, raise the conversation. If it's if if it's down a little too tactical and you're not getting to the strategic reason for this stuff, asking that next level up question or even two levels up question is mm-hmm. going to help. And it's also going to frame how they see you. Mm-hmm. It may blow you out of the water if what they want is some tactical compliance work, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it may also bring you to a different level, even if you don't get that uh, assignment, you may get the next one. They'll call you in when they need somebody who can think bigger and more strategically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the, the tip there is if you, if there's a question pops into your mind, ask it and like, let it fall out of your mouth. So like it, it and it does feel very improvisational. It's like, just ask it. it. Don't because it yeah. is <laughs> right. Right. If you're, if you're listening, you know, if you're really improvising, i.e. that means you're listening. You're not just in your own little world up on a stage. Um, you are working with somebody else in tandem. Right. Yeah. And that's the difference between like, uh, you know, the, the uh, presentation part 
of a speaking engagement or the pitch part of a, a sales mm-hmm. meeting, you, you're not doing that. This is the part where it's there's this back and forth. It's like a volley, a tennis tennis volley, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and you just got to keep hitting the ball back over the net. And you know these are you know these are just like little tools that you can use to keep hitting that ball back over the net to keep the conversation going or keep the communication flowing, so that people end up getting what they want. That's the ultimately the ultimate goal of all of these situations is that everybody gets what they want. Well, and there's another piece to remind ourselves of, and not everybody's going to agree with me on this, but it's the answer, in quotes, is in them. The answer is in your client. That is a core belief in everything that I do. So in the example you used uh, originally, the answer for what transformation they want is in them, right? It's Mm -hmm. not your definition of transformation. It's for them. If you're doing um, change consulting work, it's not the change that you want to make. It's what's in them. So the answer really is always in the client in terms of what do they want? What do they want to be different? How do they want to transform? And they'll also have stated and unstated ideas about what they will and won't do to get there. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So right. I think it's it's helpful that way so that we don't feel like we're coming in like, you know, the guy on the white horse with all of the answers <laughs> and here we are, here's the answer. The answer's in them. And it's our job to ferret it out. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, that, that reminds me of a great quote I just heard from Clayton Christensen, which is, without a great question, a great answer has nowhere to go. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's so good. Cause there's no hook. Like you could have a great answer for someone. Like you somehow you just observe that they have that. I don't know. They need to quit smoking or whatever. <laughs> and if you just go up and give somebody an answer to an unasked question, it doesn't stick. It has nowhere to go in their brain. Yeah. But a question in their brain opens up this slot and now there's this tension or itch, this like that that they want to scratch, and that's mm-hmm. where the answer goes. So you got to find the you got to find what they want first. What's the desire first? Yeah. And then you may or may not have a key to unlock that door, but you know if you do, great. If not, then also great. You can put them in touch with someone who maybe does have the key to unlock that door. Yeah, and you're still being helpful. You're you're doing what it is that you want to do with people who are in your ideal audience. They're just mm-hmm. not ready for you at this moment. Yep, yeah. And like you said, you're, you're always creating reputation for yourself. With every, uh, rep, uh, every interaction, yes. you're creating reputation. So whether, whether or not you get a short-term win, you know, it's neither here nor there. It's like you, you're building a reputation for a longer term, better engagement in six months or 18 months or down the road. They'll recommend you to someone when they want someone who is more strategic, is more of a big thinker. Uh, and then you, you know, uh, get get more of what you want, the kind of stuff that you want to do instead of just being bossed around like a pair of hands. Well, exactly. It's there's it, through this whole process, you really get a sense of kind of your special sauce, how you deliver the results that you deliver. And when you build that into consciously into every part of what you do, whether it's, you know, what you're saying on a podcast or what you're writing in a blog post or how you're acting in a sales meeting, that's really powerful. And that is also the, one of the signs of authority is when you feel mm. that thread all the way through. And yeah, you know, there might be like little glitches here and there, but when you when your audience really feels that thread, y- you got it. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, it's like the bubble is still inflating. <laughs> <laughs> it has not popped. Yeah. I don't have, I have a, a lot of 
you know, tips and tricks and tools for sales interviews. Uh, it's, it's a lot of lines, you know, it's like here, here are things that will keep the, the meeting moving forward. Just keep your ego out of it. Know what you are going to do and what you aren't going to do boundary wise. And really that, I think that's, that's my, I think that's my entire toolbox for doing a sales interview. I like to keep it simple as well because it is simple. It's what you're doing in a sales meeting is you are each deciding if you want to work together. Do you want to have a relationship and what will that relationship look like? So you want to bring who you are to that meeting. And um, I too do prep before the meeting. I want to be clear on my outside reaction, looking at their public presence and bring that reaction, you know, fresh to that meeting and ask questions. And I will know, as hopefully will they at the end of that call, whether we have the potential to work together successfully. That's what that's all about. So it doesn't have to be complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just is there a good fit? Yeah. And, and the beauty of well, I, th- I think back to my big firm consulting days when we would do these big pitches, you know, and I'd go to a meeting, I'd bring five people with me and it was yeah. like, oh my God. And we'd be planning out the meeting. They'll be, well, let's do this. Let's do this. And I'm like, all right, but yeah. here's the thing. We have to listen. So, and they, they were very uncomfortable going in without a PowerPoint to, I mean, we had one, but it's like, we can't just go from this deck. That's a deck. That's fine. You have the deck, but this is how we're going to parse the meeting. And then they're going to tell us where they want us to go. But yeah. but but we're selling. We're supposed to show them no. no. We're going to let them show us and we're going to we're going to go with the flow of that and I will be the conductor. So don't worry. And if you're not sure what to do if I look at you, speak. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sounds crazy, but when you that's part of the learning process is you have to get comfortable letting go of the formality in those meetings and letting the flow of the meeting take all of you. Yep. in the in the right direction yeah it, and that's you just uh, it like flashed in my mind like the deck is like a scripted tv show and what you want is a reality tv show not the you kardashians know, like, no like unscripted <laughs> you want yes. unscripted yeah, yeah so that's people a good point. and that's why they're getting nervous because they don't know how to go off script yeah and and there's only one way to get good at going off script and that is practice so if you if you just recognize that the script is a crutch and the it's a it's a sort of an interim tool to get you to the place where you don't need it anymore it's like I, like I've uh, I've never pitched anything but I've been in two different situations where I was on the sales side for someone who was doing a pitch so I was like inside the room during a pitch and it's uh it's insane i mean it's just straight nuts it's uncomfortable, isn't it? It's the worst. It's yeah. like so uncomfortable. Everybody on the sales side of the table is petrified. It's terrible, terrible. They're trying to be manip- they're they're out of fear. They're trying to be manipulative. Um, they're massively invested in the 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 pitch itself. They've mm-hmm. maybe spent fifty person hours to put together. You know, maybe more. A hundred. I mean, I, I was in one situation where. An entire team of like five or ten people, like did two all-nighters over a weekend to put together a pitch for a Monday, and I was like, "You look like zombies! Like, how are you possibly, <laughs> possibly, you know?" And the, they basically made a book. It was like a beautiful deck. And I'm like, "This is not going to help." Like, I, I just, I was like, shocked by it. I was shocked by it. There's so much, so much of 
like, why does the client want to hear me talking? They, they want to talk. I don't know, yeah. whatever. I, I guess it doesn't matter. But, but it's the, the point I'm, I guess I'm making is that script is not something that you're just, you're not going to try and keep making your script better. Like for the next 10 years, make a better pitch deck, a better pitch. No, that it's, it's a tool because you're not good at improvising yet that you need as a crutch. You don't want the crutch forever. So you should be getting better and better at the improvising part. And hopefully sooner rather than later, there will be no deck. You'll just show up on the call with a couple of notes on a piece of paper and say, you know, how can I help? Right. And you just have to start the conversation from there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the predicated there is an assumption that you might not be able to help, which is that's the piece that that pitchers don't get. Pitchers are yeah. like, oh, I can always help. Yeah. There's always something I can do. Yeah. They need this. There's always something I can do to get paid. Yeah. It's kind of like the, with the attitude. Yeah. And that's the kind of person that most people don't want to hire. Mm-hmm. It's very adversarial. Yeah, it sets it up. And it's it's that old view of like used car salesman. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's not sleazy, but it's the modern equivalent in that you're not listening. And we that's really what we all want as clients. We want to be heard. And then we want to get that feeling that you can help us solve this big problem. And yeah, we're taking a big risk. We're putting our necks on the line. We're signing a big check. We want to have that positive sense of knowing that we've chosen well that's what we're doing is we're we're trying to give them that feeling that confidence yeah. that they've made a good choice yep cool okay so we so we talked about q a after a talk we talked about sales interviews the last one on the list is sort of like uh exploratory partnership meetings or whatever you want to call it like a p- potential jv partner but yeah. these sort of like colleagues or business partners that you might want to might want you know that you need to kind of explore this the possibilities yeah i like the the exploratory let's call these exploratory meetings because they could be with you know potential partners they could also be with someone that you found on linkedin who just looked really interesting you have no idea where it's going to go but you thought oh well this would be let's let's you know and, and what you pitch is a call Gee, you you look really interesting because of this thing um would you be open to to talking, to having a call. And mm-hmm. most people will say yes. And then you have to, you know, actually run that meeting. And so, I don't know, Jonathan, when, when I do these, for me, it's like a sales meeting. I try to think of it as, uh, I try to put myself in the shoes of the other person. What, you know, and I love it when they talk first and I'll really try to get them to do, even if I've set up the meeting, I'd really try to get them to do that first. Maybe I'll open with, you know, an observation or something or said, boy, this thing that you did in Tanzania looks so (laughs) interesting. Can you, can you talk a little bit about it? Are you able to share, you know, what happened there? So you, you're opening it up and you're focusing on them and trying to understand what is um, unique and special and interesting about them and maybe where you might cross over. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm kind of an outdoor cat. I don't do too many of these. I had um, to make you do one. <laughs> Remember ours? Yeah, it took like, what, three months to, to get on the calendar? Something did it like really? It, well, yeah, because, um, oh, I know what it was. I had sent you a, a DM in Twitter. 
And I, I, you probably didn't see it. And then I forgot about it. And then I saw it again. I'm like, yeah, yeah, Jonathan, we, we really do need to at least have a short chat. Yeah. Yeah. I probably did. I don't hardly ever see my DMs. So that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I have done a few of them though. And it's kind of like, um, I mean, the whole thing's improvisational, really. It's just yeah. like, and for me, my my sort of rule of thumb is similar to yours. I, I would kind of like, uh, just to summarize it, I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to jump on a call with anybody who I don't find pretty interesting. So it's automatic that uh, I'm, there's going to be something there that I am genuinely curious about. And uh, I... I don't know. I just, that that's for me, that's the starting point. Mm-hmm. It's like, is there something that I'm genuinely curious about? Like when I come across someone, it's like, Ooh, I have a question I would love to ask this person because I'm genuinely curious what the answer is. And it's not, it's not even remotely. Uh, does it need to be related to business? It could be like you said, some travel that they did or that, Oh, no way you lived in a van. Like, okay. Um, <laughs> right. Like, so yeah. as long as there's some genuine curiosity there, uh, that's it. Like, that's the whole, like, that's the whole trick for keeping the conversation going. You know, if that's, if that's what, uh, I think that's step one is to keep the conversation going at least, you know, for, for a, a long enough to get to know each other and kind of start to map out the territory. And then the boundaries thing comes in too, because if there is some sort of proposition of like, Hey, wouldn't it be great if, um, you know, like I've got this one friend, he's who, who, is sort of like a non-technical founder. Well, he's technical, but um, he's sort of like a, a founder type. Mm-hmm. And he knows people with, with venture capital money. They're always trying to give him money. And he's always like, what do you think about this idea? He's always bouncing ideas off me. And he's super fun to talk to. Uh, super smart, really fun guy. And, and I love jumping on those calls with him. But there's just no way I would get involved with like a VC startup right now. You know what I mean? So like... Like I'm happy to f- help them think through the idea or poke holes in it or or pump it up into something even bigger, but I know boundary wise, I'm I'm not getting involved with like a, a VC backed startup right now. Mm-hmm. You know, so too intense. So, right. So if that's yeah, it'd be I'm all consuming. I'm sure. So, but that doesn't mean I can't have the conversation. It's just those boundaries need to be there in order for or the guardrails or guidelines or whatever you want to yeah. call it in order for there to be like a um, free flowing exchange of information and communication. I just need to know like where my, where my limits are. And that allows me to kind of like go wild inside the fence instead of worrying about like, Oh, he's trying to push me outside the fence. You know what I mean? Or if I don't know yeah. where the fence is, I can still feel when someone's pushing me outside of my comfort zone you know, or outside of my whatever, outside of the level of trust I have in this person who I just met. I, you can feel when you're getting, you start to like kind of close up a little bit and that kills the conversation. Yeah. So if you're well aware of what your boundaries are before you jump on the call, you can just stay away from them. You can stay in the middle of the field and, you know, and like really have fun and not be worried about getting sucked into something that you're not interested in. It's a little like saying no. You know, when you start to feel the boundary mm-hmm. breach and, mm-hmm. and it, it does kill the improv. Yep. Well, I did a meeting once with a couple of guys that had this product slash idea. And I agreed to do the meeting um, because what they had could be potentially really interesting to my audience. I was kind of turned off by their approach, but I thought I need to keep an open mind because this could be something that people need to know about. And 
they were so focused on themselves, they completely dissed the feedback I gave them on the video they wanted me to share with my audience. And I said, listen, mm-hmm. I'm not telling you that this is that, you know, I can help you achieve your big goals. But I'm saying if you made these changes, I would share it with my audience, but I, I would not share it as is. And this is why. <laughs> and when they and so we finished the meeting and I'm like, I bet they don't change it. And sure enough, I got a note back and said, hey, you know, if you'd like to share it, it's ready to go. <laughs> I'm like, nope, 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 that's over. So it's finding those boundaries, but also being able to have a clear conversation. Because, you know, it's not easy to tell somebody that this thing they probably spent $50,000 to create doesn't do, in my eyes, and mine are only one set, but in my eyes, it doesn't do what they wanted it to do. But I gave them that feedback anyway. Mm-hmm. Even though it was hard, I did it because I figured how they reacted to it would tell me if they were the real deal. Right. Yeah. That's that's actually a pretty common one. I don't even think of it. Uh, yeah, that does happen fairly regularly where somebody's like, and it might not even be a total stranger, but someone's like, hey, uh, my book's coming out or hey, I've got a new course launching. Um, it's it's for people like people on your list. Could you you know promote it or whatever? Mm-hmm. It's just like, or like people that want to jump on a phone call to like do um, an affiliate deal to like sell my books or workshops or something. And I'm not against that stuff, but it's just outside of my fence. I'm just not doing it. It's too much. It's, it's way more work than it sounds like it's going to be. And it's, and it's, it's a really, for me, a kind of work that I just don't want to spend my time doing. It feels like, it feels like, you know, Facebook ads or something. It's just, I just don't like the feeling of it. So. Well, remember when they used to do, it doesn't seem like anybody's doing these anymore, but there were all these summits. I'm going to do a summit and you come in and you, you propose it to your audience and we'll give you a cut of this and we'll do that. And it was like, no, just Mm. like to me, it was just a clear no, no matter what it was, it was a no. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when you find the no's, that's a good idea. Now, sometimes you might want to revisit your no, like if it was a summit where it didn't have all this affiliate stuff. And I, you know, and I wasn't like signing my life away on a contract that I, I might agree to do it. But yeah, I think it's really important to know what you won't do as well as what you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I think that's the key to this sort of situation. These exploratory calls with maybe not strangers, but they're not sales calls. You know, they're they're like sort of exploratory and and just knowing it, especially it's almost harder when you know the person and you like the person like if you came to me and you're like oh what what if we did an affiliate deal or you know and i just it would be much harder to say no to you to say no yeah right right um, how did you know i was gonna pitch you after the show <laughs> <laughs> oh great i love being pitched um uh isn't that funny nobody likes being pitched but every but so many people think that they should pitch but no one likes it so anyway um yeah, it's it's much trickier, and, and I think I don't know if if, if uh, I don't know. This isn't really about saying no, but in in my situation, when I've got a tough no, I say no to the idea, not the person. You know, it's like it's like it's it's not a rejection of the person who's who's got the idea. It's like that's just not a good fit for me. Like that thing that you you're suggesting is just not a good fit for me. I, you know, for these reasons, it, whatever it. It's not aligned with my strategy right now. My strategy looks like this. If you have an idea that does align with my strategy, let's talk. Yeah. Well, and sometimes it is both the idea and the person, but it's still good to reject the idea, not the person. Mm. Right? Because we don't have to inflict 
unkindness and cruelty intentionally. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not saying a no is cruel, but you know what I mean. There are different ways to deliver the same message. Right. Yep. Cool. Uh, Is there anything else? Have we left a stone unturned? I I don't think so. (laughs) I can't see any unturned stones in front of me. Cool. All right. Well, I mean, geez, looking back on it, I think I think the big picture tips are like set aside your ego, know what your boundaries are and don't be afraid to be yourself and ask what's on your mind. That kind of thing. Just be yourself. That's what that's why I think we both really love those uh, those sales meetings so much because it's an opportunity to kind of dip our heads into somebody else's world and be helpful, even if we're not the ones that wind up giving the help. Exactly. long run it's just it's exciting it's an opportunity to to practice what we do perfect all right well that's it for this week i'm jonathan stark and i'm rochelle moulton and we hope you join us again next time for the business of authority bye Bye bye-bye